It's Thursday, August 20th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Senate Intelligence Committee earlier this week released its final report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, and it detailed significant contacts between the Trump campaign and people with ties to Russian intelligence. Former campaign manager Paul Manafort was especially singled out as a grave counterintelligence threat. Olivia Beavers, congressional reporter at The Hill, joins us for more on the Senate report. Next, public health experts have said that casinos are a high-risk environment for COVID-19, and a new analysis of smartphone data shows just how interconnected the country is with visitors to Las Vegas. During a four-day period in July, 26,000 devices were identified on the Las Vegas Strip, and in that same weekend, those same smartphones showed up in every state on the mainland except for Maine. Marshall Allen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how mobile people are despite the pandemic. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Manafort was willing to share polling data. He was helping with a Russian oligarch's efforts to spread information overseas in different countries. And he was also possibly interacting constantly with this, as they described it, intelligence officer who might have had involvement in the DNC hack in 2016. Joining us now is Olivia Beavers, congressional reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Olivia. Thanks, Oscar. The Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday released their final report on the Trump campaign and their dealings with Russian intelligence officials, possibly. This is the fifth and final report. It was just under a thousand pages. It covers a lot of old ground that we've heard before. There's a few new things in there, but What it does conclude, it's a bipartisan report, a Republican-led committee that says that Russia indeed did try to interfere in the campaign. So, Olivia, tell us some of the top takeaways from this report. As you said, you know, this really builds on our knowledge from other investigations that have since become public, which is the House Intelligence Investigation and the Special Counsel's investigation that was made public last year. Now, some of the main points that really caught our attention for those of us who have been following this closely is just the great detail on how they tie these extensive communications between Russia and members of the Trump campaign. And one of the names that really stood out was Paul Manafort. And Paul Manafort, they said, was in constant communication with someone named Kalimnik. And they went further than the special counsel and described Kalimnik as a Russian intelligence officer. So basically, they were saying that Manafort was willing to share polling data. He was helping with a Russian oligarch's efforts to spread information overseas in different countries. And he was also possibly interacting constantly with this, as they described it, intelligence officer who might have had an involvement in the DNC hack in 2016. So it really kind of drew Manafort and these Russian government-linked individuals much closer than I think we had previously known in other reports. With regards to Paul Manafort, they said because he was so willing to share some of that data that he was a grave counterintelligence threat, although they didn't go as far as saying he actually, quote-unquote, colluded with anybody. That was never really determined, but just because of his dealing with this guy that they now deemed a Russian intelligence officer, he was a big threat that way. And a lot of what they also talk about is that Russia 
saw all these vulnerabilities in the Trump transition team. They mm-hmm. saw them as mm-hmm. inexperienced, disorganized, unprepared, and they were ready to exploit all of that. That really stood out as well. They were saying, as you just touched on, they basically saw an opportunity that you had all of these inexperienced business officials working on the transition team, and they decided to take advantage of that. And they did that through reaching out to people who didn't have these kind of foreign affairs backgrounds with understanding how Russia works. And it wasn't just Russia. It was other countries, they said, allies and businesses. But basically, you had during the transition, you have a new president coming in and you have all these outsiders rushing to kind of embed themselves to a point where they have access. And that was a point that this report was trying to make was that this is not a thing that is safe for our intelligence purposes. And we should be more careful of that going forward. The FBI did come under a lot of criticism with regards to the very contested Steele dossier. They basically said that the FBI didn't really do a lot of their due diligence in using that. They didn't vet anything before they were trying to get warrants and whatnot because of it. So that was another big one that the president has said for a long time that there was nothing to that Steele dossier. But they said that Christopher Steele himself did a lot of sloppy work on that thing as well. You know, the FBI has come under criticism for how it's handled the Carter Page FISA for using the dossier. And here it kind of lays out that they thought that the FBI had previously had this information sharing relationship with Christopher Steele, who's this former British intelligence officer. And what they said is they relied too heavily on kind of this past relationship that they had had with him. And that led them to take what he gave them much too trustingly. And that led to all of these issues that they didn't actually properly vet the information that they were receiving from him in a fashion that they should have. One of the other things, too, they go back to the 2016 meeting between Trump campaign officials and some Russians in Trump Tower. This is the woman, uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya, and another person there. And basically, they're saying that they also had extensive Russian connections, possibly to Russian intelligence services. So I know they spun that and she wanted to do something on Russian sanctions with regards to adoptions, things like that. But they were really there to share dirt about Hillary. But the Trump campaign didn't really know the extensive ties that they had to Russian services. Of course, they were lying the whole time. Mm-hmm. That, that's why you know, none of that really serviced. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I think there's two sides to that. One is that the report is pointing out they were meeting with someone who had far greater ties to the Russian government. And the other one is something that they described as a counterintelligence threat in itself, which is that you have a presidential campaign that was willing to accept foreign assistance, whether or not they received it, they were willing to accept it on a political opponent. And that's been a discussion that has continued to keep on rising as we head into 2020. But what I do also think is interesting is sort of the reactions that we're seeing on Capitol Hill just from this report. The report itself is bipartisan and yeah, both the top Democrat and Republicans putting their stamp of approval on it. But outside of that, you have the president and Republicans saying this is more like vindication that there was no collusion, per se. And Democrats are coming back and saying, well, that's exactly what collusion looks like if you look at what Manafort was doing with Kalimnik. The report did say that there's no doubt there was no collusion, but it was proven time and time again that members of the Trump campaign were in constant contact with 
people who had ties to Russian intelligence services. And, you know, they even named Manafort a grave counterintelligence threat. So these were the kinds of things surrounding it. And nothing rises to the level of Trump except for uh, some things about Roger Stone saying that there was conversations about WikiLeaks and how the leak of that information was going to flow out. But it does really seem to be centered around other Trump campaign officials mostly. So hopefully we can put a cap to all of this now, <laughs> years, years down the road. But I mean, this seems to be the final report on this. And as you mentioned, it's bipartisan, Republican-led committee. And it still mm -hmm. does say that Russia did indeed try to interfere in the elections. I've been covering this ooh, maybe now three years. And so, like, you know, the Russia investigation has been part of my job description for so long. But now I, you know, I think it's an end of an era. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Olivia Beavers, congressional reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. Those cell phone devices, that some of the same ones that were on the strip, showed up in every single state in the country except for Maine. And they showed up by the thousands in places like Southern California and Arizona, and even by the hundreds in Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland area. Joining us now is Marshall Allen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Marshall. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I want to talk about an interesting story regarding the coronavirus pandemic. We've been hearing a lot in a lot of different places how they're using cell phone tracking data to see people's movements and how the spread of coronavirus might be progressing throughout the country. I know in California specifically, they use the cell phone tracking data to decide, hey, we need to close down beaches after one weekend where everybody turned out to them. So I know this has kind of been an ongoing story underneath the coronavirus pandemic. And there at ProPublica, you guys took a look into Las Vegas, one of my favorite places. I've been wanting to go back, you know, as things started to reopen, but this kind of confirmed my suspicions that maybe I shouldn't. So you guys take a look at cell phone data and showing that people are going to Vegas, which we know that these casinos can be hotbeds for coronavirus, and then traveling back to their states and cities and possibly taking it with them there. So Marshall, tell us a little bit about the data that you guys were looking at. I reached out to a couple companies that specialize in this kind of data. One of them is called Xmode. They're a company that gathers cell phone device data. They do it in a de-identified way. I mean, the whole thing is pretty creepy, right? When you think about how our movements are tracked based on our smartphone devices. Right. Um, they, so they get this data from apps we use for like fitness or weather, things that track our location. And a company called Tectonics does the analysis and visualizes the data. So I reached out to those companies and I asked them if they could do an analysis based on Las Vegas. I also have great love for Las Vegas. I used to live there for five years. I was a journalist there at the oh, Las wow. Vegas Sun newspaper. So I know Vegas real well. And I had a feeling that Vegas could be a problematic place when it comes to the virus. What their data showed, they have a data set that represents about 5% of all the cell phone devices in the country. And during a four-day period in July, they were able to identify about 26,000 devices on the Las Vegas Strip, so where all the big hotels are. And they were able to look and see where those same smartphones showed up in the same four-day period. And what's amazing is just how far the reach is for travelers who go through Las Vegas. I mean, even in a pandemic, people are extremely mobile. And those cell phone devices, some of the same ones that were on the Strip, 
showed up in every single state in the country except for Maine. And they showed up by the thousands in places like Southern California and Arizona, and even by the hundreds in Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland area, in Texas, even all the way out to the New York area. Wow. And what it shows is that people are still extremely mobile. Our country is very connected. And the real problem here is that casinos, according to the public health experts I talked to, are exactly the kind of place that would be a likely hotbed for the virus to spread. You have an indoor environment. You have people who are mingling together. You have a lot of strangers coming from a lot of different places mixing together. And you have a collection of people who may be more prone to taking risks, right? I talked to a lot of workers in Vegas, and they told me that the people who come visit, they're really trying to come to forget about the coronavirus, right? right. They want to have a good time. They want to get away from this pandemic. And so they've seen a lot of problems with visitors not wearing masks or refusing to wear masks. They've had people gathering in crowds. And it's got all the ingredients for what public health experts would say is a problem. And that was part of the problem, too. The Vegas casinos opened on June 4th, and we remember how there was promotions for almost free air travel to get there. They wanted people to turn out, and they kind of got their wish. People did go, and then we started seeing cases spike again. But, you know, you were talking about how people didn't want to wear masks and whatnot. That was also part of the problem because the regulations were all over the place. There was no set to govern all of them really each casino or each casino group were left alone to make their own rules. And some said we need customers to wear masks. Others said they don't. Same thing with the workers. There was testing on some part of it. Others didn't do testing. So this was also kind of the problem there, this patchwork of rules. That's exactly right. The regulators in Nevada give in a lot to the casino industry because it is really such a dominant force in the in the city. I and mean, one of the historians in Nevada told me the gaming industry isn't just the tail that wags the dog. It may just be the dog, you know. So, I mean, they really are running things in Nevada. And one of the biggest problems here is that our public health system is not really structured in a way that will identify any type of an outbreak that would occur in a casino. All of our contact tracing, that's the process where a local public health agency will call people who tested positive, ask who they've been in touch with, make sure people are quarantining to prevent the spread of the virus. That contact tracing process is really not focused at all on county to county or state to state contact tracing. And it's not focused on looking for an outbreak or looking for a super spreader event in a place like Vegas. So you have this environment where it's ripe for the virus to spread. And then all those travelers are going back to Southern California or they're going back to Phoenix or throughout the rest of the country. And the public health system is not even identifying whether or not they might have picked up these cases in a place like the Las Vegas Strip. That's one of the biggest problems with coronavirus already is we're always playing from behind on its movement. So it's hard to even track it that way. Marshall, tell me a little bit about some of the casinos COVID plans. You talk a little bit about MGM resorts and some of their plans and in their policies, they basically say if somebody comes down with coronavirus, let's say they stay there, they go home, they take a test, you know, oh my God, I have coronavirus. They're supposed to notify MGM, send them an email or something. But I mean, I'm willing to bet a lot of people that's not top of mind for them. They're not going to email back. And then on top of that, it's just, they don't provide some of that data with how many people have hit them back up, how many possible outbreaks that they've had at their properties. 
That's correct. Yeah, I reached out to MGM and I asked them if they could tell me how often that has happened, that they've had people email them and they wouldn't tell me. But the experts I talked to said it's highly unlikely, you know, that people are going to reach back to MGM and say, oh, by the way, I tested positive. I mean, it could be. But even the local health district there in southern Nevada said they have not really been hearing from other public health agencies or not very much. And frankly, all the public health agencies are overwhelmed with cases in their own jurisdiction. So they don't really know where everybody picked up the cases. There's community spread all over the country. There's a 14-day incubation period for COVID-19. So you could have picked it up 14 days before it shows up. A lot of people don't even have symptoms. I mean, it's really hard to trace the origin of this disease. And so it just makes it really difficult to control. You spoke a little bit about the employees, the workers there in Las Vegas that work in all the casinos and all that. Let's talk a little bit about that because they're also worried about it too. Uh, You know, when these casinos were set up, they weren't set up for social distancing. You mentioned some workers in the kitchen at Binion's Cafe down in, in the Fremont area and how they're working elbow to elbow basically in a tiny kitchen because that's the way it was set up so long ago. And just the increased worry that they go through that something might happen. Well, I think this is really the tragedy. You know, one of the experts I talked to, the historians about the workforce in Nevada said, what's happening here is that people are gambling with lives. The casino owners, the properties themselves, they're gambling with lives when they require the workers to show up for work in the middle of a pandemic where it's very difficult to social distance and a lot of the guests are not wearing masks. And just to be fair, you know, the casinos have done a lot to transform Las Vegas. I mean, if you go to Vegas now, your experience is going to be much different than it would have been last year. I mean, they have distanced the tables. They have plexiglass barriers set up. They have hand sanitizing and hand washing stations set up on the casino floor in different places. The workers are all wearing masks. But the workers I talked to said the guests are not. A lot of them are taking it seriously, but many of them are not. And when you have that many people coming into one place and then they refuse to distance and they refuse to wear masks, even if a few of them refuse, it creates a high risk environment for those workers. Just looking at that cell phone data, going back to that, you can see how it's so possible for this. It's like a video game. You can see the spread almost in real time just looking at that cell phone data. You can. And I think that's the visualization of it is what's so powerful and astonishing. You know, when you see just how connected we are, almost every major city in the country in that same four day period had people coming through Vegas. And so the weird thing is it was only a four day period. Vegas has been open for months. And so there are way, way more people going through than just that. And it just brings home how interconnected we are. One of the public health experts I talked to who does infectious disease modeling compared it to a forest fire. So if you picture a forest fire in Las Vegas, and then you imagine a group of trees that are on fire, and then some of the flames jump to another area, and then they ignite trees in that area, that's exactly what can occur when people gather in Las Vegas, spread the virus among each other, and then hop on planes and hop in cars and drive back home to communities all over the country. Marshall Allen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate your interest. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.